0: Hello, and thanks for joining us once again for the Inspire, Create, and Shine podcast, where we discuss life, love, literature, and the arts from a Christian perspective. This is your host, Melanie D. from MelanieDTheAuthor.com. Stay tuned for our next episode. there's a chapter in my book chapter number four to be exact um, called Jesus the blueprint and um, the book of course my book title is love check how do you measure up when I think about love um, I think about God Um, the Bible says that God is love and um, the Bible also makes it clear that Jesus and God are one and the same so um, when we're discussing um the proper ways to love of course first corinthians 13 is the chapter that defines love and what it looks like and all of its characteristics and how we supposed to uh, behave um, how we exemplify love when we see those qualities and those actions we know that that person is loving or that we're loving somebody else um so first corinthians 13 verses 4 through 7 i believe um give you the blueprint of what love looks like but then since we know that God is love that's another way that we can define love and know who and what love looks like if somebody is exemplifying the qualities of Jesus Christ um which is hard you know he's the um example of perfection and of course we're striving to be like him but we are not like him completely and we are definitely definitely not perfect because we are human beings he was Christ's I'm sorry, God in the flesh when he came to this earth. So if we look at his life, the things that he taught, the things that he said, the things that he did, we will see the example and a um, reflection of who God is and how uh, God wants us to love. So the four Gospels of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, tell the entire story of Jesus' life and ministry while he was here on this earth. Um... So, I'm, doing, I'm going to read you a little bit from my book, and um, it will help you to understand, as well as myself, because I always, you know, I always go back to the Gospels for a refresher course on who Jesus is, um, a perf- refresher course on um, the love of God, um, as well as 1 Corinthians 13, to make sure that I'm, you know, uh, mirroring Him. And uh, so, it's it's a it's a perpetual process you'll you'll probably never attain it fully but um, again it's something to um, try to measure up to or to strive for nevertheless all right so the chapter starts by saying i'll read the intro With both feet, this is from the Message Bible, this verse that I'm reading, first of all, it says, With both feet planted firmly on love, you'll be able to take in with all followers of Jesus the extravagant dimensions of Christ's love. Reach out and experience the breath. Test its length. Plumb the depths. Rise to the heights. Live full lives, full in the fullness of God. And then it goes on to say, Jesus is a real life superhero in my eyes, a purveyor and champion of good, a defender of the weak, a proponent of life, justice and liberty, a chief of compassion and the savior for all. He is our blueprint. Beyond words and definitions, we just have to study him, his life, his words and his deeds to see love personified, he is love, in essence and in action. The following tidbits are archived posts from one of my social media pages describing Jesus as the perfect example for how we should conduct ourselves in love. Feel free to post, tweet, or share these powerful truths on your pages with ha- with hashtag LoveCheck. Um, I remember posting these several years back on my um, Kingdom Creators. Uh, business page but here you go this is a these are three posts that I made uh, talking about Jesus number one as you go through the four gospels you see the amazing character love and nature of Jesus constantly in awe of him who wouldn't serve a God like this number two every act of Jesus was a lesson usually in love study him know him four gospels Matthew Mark Luke John and number three if I had to describe Jesus in one word it would have to be love. That was the signature and brand of his entire ministry. Hashtag four gospels, hashtag know him. That that, um, particular um, tidbit from my page is the main one I wanted to reference because it says it all. In a nutshell, if I had to describe Jesus in one word, it would have to be love. That was the signature and brand of his entire ministries, hashtag four gospels, hashtag know him. Then I go on to say, let's explore these truths about Jesus a little further as we delve into the four gospels. Each of the gospels is loaded with examples of Jesus's love in action. In this chapter, only key passages are mentioned. They are grouped together for easier exploration like so. Number one, love that sees. Number two, love that serves. Number three, love that honors. Number four, love that empathizes, I'm sorry. Number five, love that teaches and demonstrates. Number six, labor of love. Number seven, tough love. And number eight, sacrificial love. In your own spare time, I encourage you to read the noted verses in addition to the following summaries that highlight who Jesus really is. So I'm probably only gonna read um, a few of these. So let's start with number one love that sees. What is it he sees in me? Love doesn't choose people according to typical societal standards of prestige, beauty, grandeur, popularity, stature, etc. He often chooses the unlikely, the ordinary, the unknown, the overlooked, the outcast and the marginalized in society. He looks beyond the surface and looks directly into the heart. He recognizes all their God-given potential because he put it there. Those whom man would deem as unworthy or unfit to be the conduit and bloodline through which their son, a king, would be born. God chose as Jesus' ancestral predecessors, Rahab the prostitute, as well as King David, and wise king solomon both of whom were notoriously known for their failings with women jesus's own mother was an obscure young woman born in an obscure town the first disciples jesus chose to help expand his ministry were ordinary people with flaws for example peter was a hot tempered fisherman and matthew was a tax collector unwelcome amongst his people Jesus fellowshiped and spent time with the Matthews of the Bible. Those who were considered outcasts or sinners to show that they too were worthy of his love. It doesn't matter if you're standing alone or in the midst of a crowd. Love sees you right where you are. Case in point, the woman who suffered with an issue of blood for 12 years. On the way to heal someone else, Jesus stops and heals this woman because she had pressed her way through to reach him in the midst of a crowd. This was a woman whose society had overlooked and labeled unclean. It was her faith that got his attention, but love saw her right in the midst of her affliction when others couldn't or wouldn't see. Oh, how he loves you. So, the first segment, love that sees, is talking about how God sees us different from how ordinary man sees us. People count us like special and worthy and beautiful and um, accepted based on society standards of beauty, society standards of of success. Um, God looks for humility. He looks for. Um, the heart. He looks at the heart, rather. Um, you might be, you know, beautiful from head to toe on the outside and have a dark and poisonous heart on the inside. You might be sweet on the surface, but God's like, no, I see your heart. What's really your motive? What's really, really going on beneath the surface that people can't see? Um, not only that, certain people in society are overlooked. The marginalized in society, the poor, the weak, uh, the needy, those who are um handicapped or afflicted in some manner um those who have seen the inside of a prison cell um you know those those who um in some area you were lacking and for some reason someone said okay that's not good enough that's not enough that's not enough that's not enough and then God is like listen I saw you I see you society may overlook you a friend may overlook you a coworker may overlook you, a boss may overlook you, a man may overlook you, a woman may overlook you. For whatever reason, you might be overlooked in some manner. God's like, no, I see you in the midst of a sea of people. Imagine being in a stadium full of people. You're at a game, a sporting event, concert, or whatever, movie theater, whatever it is, a big uh, group of people. And you're in that, in that midst of that thing, sitting in there. And God's like, even in a dark room, like in a movie theater, the lights are out. And there's a crowd of people in that in that movie theater. God's like, I see you. I see you. Um, And God will always redeem you. God will always find other ways and avenues to bless you in the midst of neglect. Bless you in the midst of being overlooked. Bless you um, when others um don't accept you. Uh, there's a scripture that says we are accepted in, into the beloved. I don't know it off the top of my head, but it definitely says that in scripture. We are accepted into the beloved when we accept Christ. When we become God's child because we accept his free gift of salvation, we are accepted into the beloved. And the beloved is his chosen people, his, his, the people that he loves, the people that, that he has close to his heart. That's his chosen people. God says, You are accepted into the beloved. He sees you. Second segment love that serves why is he serving me when i should be serving him philippians 2 6 through 9 describes jesus perfectly as the epitome of humility a perfect image of what it means to truly have a servant's heart though he was in the form of god did not count equality with god a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Jesus was even born in humble conditions in a manger and heralded as king upon his entry into Jerusalem on a donkey, not how you might expect a king to make his grand entrance. He often kept a low profile and consorted with people from all walks of life, especially the poor and the afflicted. In John 5, 3-11, Jesus teaches the Beatitudes, which give special encouragement and honor to to those who typically followed him. The poor, the hungry, the thirsty, the disheartened, the humble, the peacemakers, and the persecuted. These are those society tends to disregard. Yet Jesus took time to minister to them, a king who serves his subjects. What a beautiful image of love. In this posture, Jesus was more down-to-earth and approachable. The spirit in which he served others made his love more tangible and impactful. Jesus had no problem submitting to or serving both someone in authority and someone who was technically his subordinate. It greatly pleased God, the Father, for example, when Jesus submitted himself to his cousin John the Baptist's authority and let John baptize him in the Jordan River. In Mark 10, 45, Jesus makes it clear that he came into the world not to be served, but to serve and to give his life for mankind's salvation. Who could forget how on the night of the Last Supper before he died, Jesus served his disciples by washing their feet. You might think, shouldn't that be the other way around? Shouldn't they be washing washing his feet? It was a lesson in humility, servitude, and honor. Jesus wanted them to follow his example as their leader, serving both those under his authority and those who worked alongside him. To me, this further reinforces the fact that Jesus was not a respecter of persons. If you serve all people, despite their status or rank. There's no room for discrimination or inequality. Serving those less fortunate or those under our authority automatically keeps us in a posture of humility. If people are always singing your praises, it could go to your head and manifest itself as arrogance and pride. And with so much focus on self, consequently, love suffers. See how that works? Even the smallest lessons that Jesus taught were deeply profound. Something else amazing happens when we are serving others. It brings joy to both us and those we're serving. You may find that you're happier or happiest when you're giving, serving, and pouring into others. Don't be stingy in your giving and servitude if you want to be abundantly blessed in this way. Love will reward you. The second segment, like I said, was love that serves. And so I'm highlighting all these scriptures in there where Jesus was trying to demonstrate the example of humility and the example, example of serving, no matter his rank. Now, Jesus, now look, imagine that. This. this is Jesus the Christ, King of kings, Lord of lords, almighty God. He, all of the angels are at his command. All of heaven is at his command. He created the heavens and the earth and everything in it, all of us are subject to him. And there he is washing the feet of his disciples. Now, how much how much lower can you bow than that? You know, they walked around in those Bible days in sandals and the dirt from the ground would often, this was before we had paved streets like we have now. And so their feet often got dusty and dirty along, you know, throughout their travels from day to day. And so here he is, he brings them into this intimate setting at the last supper and they have fellowship and dinner with, with him as he's talking and teaching them when they're sharing and breaking bread together. And then he decides, okay, I'm going to wash your feet. And Peter's like, no, no, Jesus, let me wash your feet. I should be washing yours. And Jesus like, no, if you don't let me wash your feet, you won't be able to, to share in the kingdom with me. And so he's showing them by example that this is how we are to um, serve one another. No matter our rank. I don't care if you're CEO of the greatest corporation in the world. I don't care if you're president of the United States. I don't care if you're king of England or queen of England. We should be humble enough to serve. We should never be so high and mighty that we cannot um, come down to the level of any person. That's how you reach people when you come down to their level. Now, you don't have to. Um, act superior and act like, Oh, I'm no, I'm too, I'm too um, good to do that. I can't, I will not stoop down and help them. I won't give money to the poor. I won't see a homeless person on the street and give them my hard earned money, but you don't know that person's story. So many homeless people on the streets got there from, from all kinds of reasons, but we don't know. So before we judge and just think, oh, I'm not giving my hard-earned money. They're just going to go use it to get drunk. They're just going to use it to go get high. You're doing it as unto the Lord. So we're serving Christ when we give to those people. We need to look at it as an as a service to the Lord and not to, um. to worry about what that person is doing with the money. The minute that money leaves your hands and goes to that person, no matter what they do with it, you've done that thing that God wanted you to do. You showed them love. You showed them love by buying them something to eat. You show them love by taking them to a shelter. You show them love by doing some act of kindness to that person. And God sees. He sees. Love that sees. Remember that from my first segment? But now he sees you serving and operating like he does. Listen, in Matthew 25, I want to read a segment of this to go coincide with what I'm talking about now. Okay, I want to start at verse 34. This is showing how God looks at us when we remember those in general um, who are the marginalized of society, um, the forgotten of society, the overlooked of society, and those that um, may not necessarily fit in our little cliques or may not be a part of the the club, so to speak. They're the outliers of society, the outcasts, and those that people often don't um, pay attention to a lot of times. Okay, anyway, reading is verse 34. And so when we serve other people and we love other people, this is what God is saying to us. You did it to me. You did it for me. So be mindful of that when you're, when you're loving someone or when you're not loving somebody. You're doing it to Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior. Do you want to be guilty of saying that you um, didn't uh, love on him after all that he's done for you? Do you want to be guilty of saying that you did not Give God his due or try to give him his due for all the ways that he has blessed you. So that's what God is saying. Love on my people. And thus you show me that you love me. Love that serves. Third segment. Love that honors. Am I worthy? Love is no respecter of persons, plain and simple. He doesn't esteem one person higher than another based on the superficial. Jesus was a heart reader. It didn't matter if you were an ordinary citizen or a Roman official. He received and honored the request of anyone who humbly came to him in faith. In Matthew 8, 5-13, for example, Jesus grants the request of a Roman soldier to heal his paralyzed servant and honors him because of his great faith even though Roman soldiers were generally unwelcomed among his people. In John 4, 7-29, Jesus engages in conversation with and gives divine revelation to a Samaritan woman who is considered unwelcome among the Jewish people. In Mark 10, 14-15, Jesus even welcomes little children into his space, giving them special honor, though his disciples and others shunned them. Jesus says that those who would enter his kingdom must be humble and meek like little children. No matter who you are or where you come from, Jesus made a promise. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Oh, how he loves you. Okay, the third segment that I mentioned was love that honors. Again, this is showing how Jesus will honor and accept and welcome uh, those who, anyone really who comes to him, who humbly comes to him. Not It doesn't matter uh, who you are. And he's no respecter of persons. Again, we look at, in society and in the world, we look at, you know, how important a person are you? Um, who do you know and who knows you? And what's your status? How high on the totem pole are you? How low on the totem pole are you? That determines whether we welcome you or not. But Jesus is like, listen, there's this Roman soldier who comes to him and asks for him to heal his son or heal his servant. Uh, the Roman soldiers and the and the Hebrew people and Jesus' people, they didn't even fellowship Um The Romans were like the enemies of the Hebrew people. They uh, lorded over them, were unfair and brutal to God's people. But God received him or Jesus received him when he came to him humbly asking for his help, asking for him to heal his servant. Um, So he healed his people as well as Roman soldiers, as well as high officials. It didn't matter if they came to him humbly asking for his help. He would welcome them. He would give them honor honor to children too. He looked at little children and said, these are the ones that I will honor. Um, you might think, oh, a child is insignificant. Who are they? We're not giving no attention to no little kids. You know, I remember it's, it's not, not like they were trying to diss us or anything, but when we were little, um, there were times when, uh, because there was so many of us um, at, at gatherings or whatever, family gatherings, the adults would eat, um, uh, the most expensive things on the on the menu that they were serving for the gathering, and the kids might get something they cost a little less, for example, if the parents are getting chicken and fish, we might get hot dogs just as as a as a parallel so it's like oh they're just little kids they can handle a hot dog they can just eat a hot dog and be done with it, and not that they're belittling us now if you don't have the means that's one thing but if you have the means, imagine a rich person instead of. Serving him what he's eating for that night. It's like, oh no, that's that's not for you. You can have a bowl of soup instead. You know what I'm saying? If you have the means, God's like, don't treat them any different because they're sick. Don't treat them any different because they're disabled, because they're outcast, because they don't fit the status quo. So that's what he's trying to show, that he will honor you when you honor him and when you come to him humbly. Uh, John 637 says, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out So. People might cast you out or want to put you out and push you out and push you away. God says, if you come to me, come to me, come to me, and I will never cast you out. I will never throw you away. You're not garbage to me. You're honorary. You're royalty to me. You are my chosen vessels to me. You are my kings and my queens to me. You are jewels and my crown to me. You know, he sees us like that. He doesn't look at you like a, a... piece of garbage or something that can be thrown away in the in the, in the, in the dumpster um, when people get tired or when they're not feeling you today or something like that. That's not the way God operates. Jesus sees us and reacts to us so much differently. So that's the way he wants us to do his people and to do people in general. And this is the last segment that I'm going to read to you today. Segment four, love that empathizes. Does He really care about me and my situation? The heart of God is tender and His love truly limitless toward humanity. According to Hebrews 1 and 3, Jesus is the exact imprint of His nature. Because Jesus got to experience firsthand what it's like to walk the earth and live as a human being among us. He can truly relate to the emotions, temptations, thoughts, and circumstances we deal with from day to day. Hebrews 4.15 says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, because quite literally, he's been there. Though faith is something that definitely gets his attention, love is also touched by our pain and our plight. He wants to set us free, or see us free, healed and whole physically, mentally, and spiritually. Have you ever found yourself in a situation where you needed God's help or healing and you've been waiting a long time but still haven't gotten what you were seeking? Jesus encountered such a man in John 5, verses 2-9 through who had been paralyzed or crippled for 38 years. Jesus found him by the pool of Bethesda, which means house of mercy, or house of grace in Hebrew, and realized that he had been there for a long time. Love had compassion. Love sought him out. Love was determined not to leave him the way he found him. The crippled man was sitting right in a place of healing, but couldn't seem to get healed. Jesus asked him if he even wanted to be healed. It was a question of faith. How bad did he really want it? The man began to explain his plight and how every time he would try to get into the healing waters, Someone would always beat him to it. Hearing this, Jesus simply commanded the man to get up, take up his mat, and walk. Jesus was making it clear that faith has no limitations and that he himself was the healer. Needless to say, that was the last day that man oh, that was the last day that man spent crippled. In John chapter 9, Jesus encounters a beggar who daily sat in darkness, being blind from birth. But how could darkness encounter light and not be changed? The immediate assumption upon seeing his plight by men was that his blindness was a result of either his or his parents' sins. Jesus knew better. In actuality, the man's blindness was allowed so that his healing would show forth the works of God. The ironic thing is, That after Jesus heals the man, Jewish leaders accuse both him and Jesus of being sinners. Jesus for healing him on the Sabbath and him for supposedly faking his blindness and attributing his sight to Jesus. They consequently threw him out of the temple. The audacity. Could it be that sometimes people prefer to see you broken rather than healed? Needy rather than full? Bound rather than free? In darkness rather than light church hurt was a thing even in the Bible days but at the moment they spurned him love embraced him not enough can be said about the level of mercy and compassion that Jesus has for his people in John 8 7 through 11 Jesus defends a woman caught in adultery against her accusers and saves her from being stoned He sends her away, restored, with the firm but simple command to sin no more. Love chooses to cover rather than expose, to forgive rather than condemn. In similar fashion, in Luke 7, 36-50, Jesus defends a fallen woman against those who criticized her for kneeling and weeping at his feet using expensive oil to anoint his feet and drying them with her hair they couldn't see past her sins and her radical act in the house of a dignitary hers was an act of worship humility and love and jesus honored her for it the shortest verse in the bible highlights Jesus' love for his friends just prior to him performing one of the greatest miracles recorded in bible history John 11 35 is only two words Jesus wept he was moved to tears at the news of his friend Lazarus's death and upon witnessing the sorrow of Lazarus's sisters John 11:38 38 through 44 describes the awful awesome moments when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead in any dead or seemingly impossible situation it's important to remember That love is the resurrection and the life. Oh, how he loves you. Okay, last segment was Love That Empathizes. And this segment was talking about how Jesus will see us in, in the trials and tribulations of our lives. And God has mercy where people have ju- have judgment. Where people sit there and judge you, God will give you mercy and grace. Um, where people think you're not worthy, God will say, yes, you are. I'll heal you anyway. Uh, maybe you're someone who went to jail and committed a bad crime and you really were guilty of the crime. Where people want to not accept you, not welcome you, When you have that kind of past, Jesus is like, no, I'm going to give you a break. I'm going to give you an opportunity. I'm going to help you. I'm going to welcome you. I'm going to love you beyond it. I'm going to love you through it. There's this blind man in that, in, in the Bible that's mentioned in John chapter nine, who was, who was blind from birth. And immediately, you know, he was always, um, he was a blind man. He's also a beggar. So he was sitting in the temple and he'd be sitting there begging for money. I don't know if it was because of his blindness that caused him to have a hard time getting um, his provisions met. I don't know the story behind that. But for whatever reason, he was at the temple begging. I guess he felt like that was a place where God's people would would have mercy on him and would s- empathize with him and would be willing to give him something. But he heard that Jesus was coming through. And so he started crying out to Jesus, Jesus, heal me. I want my sight. And people automatically judged him because he was blind from birth. And they assumed, oh, his parents must have sinned how else did he come how else did he come up blind what kind of uh person is born blind unless their parents sinned or they committed a sin and so jesus is like no nah, it's not that that's not the reason people are quick to judge you based on your circumstances based on how they find you based on what it looks like they haven't gotten to the heart of the problem they just assume that this it's this and they assume that it's that and we've all been guilty of that we'll we'll see somebody Something happening to somebody will, you know, paint this picture in our mind like this is what happened. And and that's why that's happening to them. This reminds me of Job, the story of Job, the same situation. He found himself losing all these things in his life. People, His family dying, losing his money, his, his properties and all the things that he owned, his animals, his wealth. And his friends immediately started judging him. So we're quick to judge. Jesus is like, no, this blind man in the Bible, he wasn't a sinner. His parents hadn't sinned but God allowed it so that he would show forth the the power of God and the glory of God when he would be healed one day. So Jesus grants him his request. He heals him. And because Jesus happened just so happened to do this on the Sabbath day, so there'll be always traditional stuff instead of um you know, instead of being empathetic and compassionate at all times. We're so busy worrying about protocol. We're so busy worrying about what time it is. We're so busy worrying about the things that are not important. And Jesus is like, no, this man—he called out to me, so I'm going to help him right now. I'm going to help him right now while I have, while I'm passing by, right while he's in my presence and he's asking for my help. I'm going to help him now. And so he gave him his sight. And unfortunately, it was on the Sabbath day, a day that they say we're supposed to rest, and it's against the law to work on the Sabbath day. To them, they saw that as him working, and so they throw him as well as the blind man out of the temple. Now think about this. Jesus is, again, this is his temple. King of kings, Lord of lords, this is God's temple. They are not even recognizing that Jesus is God in the flesh. This is technically his temple. They have the nerve to try to throw him out and throw out the man he just healed because he sought to give this man a miracle at an unfortunate or inconvenient to them time. Isn't that something how people see things? <laughs> Isn't it something how we we rather trivialize something so beautiful and so simple and so um, so miraculous? So yeah, this, this is how Jesus empathizes with us. No matter the protocols, no matter uh, people's opinions, no matter your circumstances. He's like, if you're in need, if you're hurting, if you're sick, if you're afflicted, And you're seeking my help. No matter how long it's been, if Jesus is passing through and you're reaching out to him for his help. He's going to he's going to come to you. He's going to listen to you. He's going to meet that need. And so it just shows the contrast. Like I'm trying to paint this picture in your mind and get you to see the contrast of Jesus to man. And so when the Bible basically um, commissions us all as Christians are truly calling ourselves followers of Christ and believers of Christ and saved Holy Ghost filled believers of Christ we're supposed to be doing what he did and I don't just mean the loving part because I talk about love all the time but all of the things he did we're supposed to be trying to do what he did I just happen to be talking about love a lot because love is so major love is healing love has so many powerful and beautiful qualities it's healing it comforts it um unifies. It blesses. It inspires. It motivates. It uplifts. It uh, changes people. It transforms people. Love does so many great things. When love is evident, the gifts of the spirit even flow better. The gifts of the spirit flow when we operate in love. You know, if you if we go around with unforgiveness in our hearts, we can stop our prayers from being effective. We can stop miracles from taking place in our lives. We can can break up relationships. We can Do all manner of damage because we're not allowing love to flow. Love can't flow with unforgiveness. Unforgiveness equals you're not loving. Like you can forgive and it's hard. I'm not saying it's easy. Forgiveness is a deliberate act. You know, choosing to say, I forgive you. Even if right then and there you can't, you feel some kind of way. But continually saying, I forgive you internally. And and then taking the steps to act it out. Act it out. In small steps, if it's been a, a, a huge infraction done against you, take small steps. And I've had to do that myself. Somebody betrayed me, somebody hurt me or something like that. I'm like, yo, I cannot. Ooh, I can't forgive that. But then the love of God rises up in me and I'm like, okay. Okay, God, especially when I'm praying about something and that comes up to mind. And I'm like, okay, all right, God. So in my heart and out loud, I'll say I forgive them. And then it's like, okay, I'm going to consciously take steps and do things to show that person love, even though they hurt me, to show that person support or whatever it is to pray for them, Um, you know, to just be there if they need me, even if it's not, it doesn't always feel good to do that, but I try to do it anyway. And so I'm not there yet. I haven't fully arrived there. But I, like I say, I, all the stuff that I'll be talking about, I'll be striving to do this. It's something I'm striving to do. It's not like, oh, I got it in the bag and it's so easy to me now. No, there are hard moments. But if you keep doing it, you keep practicing, it, it becomes a little easier over time. And so I'm thankful for that. And then you just feel better. It's like you there's a weight that starts lifting off you as you start to. Because forgiveness and stuff like that, if you allow it to fester and and grow inside, it becomes like a weight. So you got to drop the weight of it by forgiving. And it's a gradual process, as I said. But Jesus is awesome. I just want to remind you that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall confess one day that Jesus Christ is the Lord. And so I'm, I'm talking about him today because First of all, I want y'all to know who he is. His nature is beautiful. His nature is love. He's the epitome, the essence, and love itself. And so, if we're going to reflect love, we got to reflect him. Again, read the four Gospels Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to understand and to know who he is. And then walk and talk like him. Do what he did. Say what he did. Be like he was. And I'm trying it to do it myself, y'all. I gotta do more, gotta get better at doing it. But um, yeah, he's he's our example, he's our blueprint. The first four segments of that chapter is what I highlighted. And again, those were love that sees, love that serves, uh, love that honors, and love that empathizes. Love is paramount. Love is a command. Love is what's up. If you'd like to be featured on this podcast, please hit me up at Melanie D, the author at yahoo.com. That's Melanie D, the letter D, the author at yahoo.com or on my website at www.melaniedtheauthor.com. Thank you so much for listening. Have a beautiful and blessed day.